Time to talk farming now, and I'm joined by Katrina Morrissey, Deputy Editor of the Farmer's Journal. Good morning, Katrina. Good morning, Fran. Uh, Can we start with that rather stern warning, indeed, from the brand new president of the IFA, Francie Gorman, to the government? Yeah, that's right. Um, Francie Gorman took up office on Tuesday as the president of the Irish Farmers Association, and he, uh, as part of his speech, said that the government needs to take their hands off our land. Um, and speaking on behalf of farmers, he said they were increasingly concerned that they were being taken for granted by the state and some private developers in relation to infrastructure projects. And we know that there's been some contentious issues over roads and greenways mm. and access and, and um, further access for things like electricity lines and pipelines. So he said, let me be clear, there must be full agreement with farmers before any developer enters their land. So, um, yeah, a very, very kind of hands-off mm. warning there from the new president. Yeah, strong language as well, to be confiscated by stealth, Katrina. That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and that was, uh, I suppose, um, he referred to a number of things throughout the uh, the AGM speech, and and the land was won. I suppose another issue that I thought was, was really being raised from the floor at the AGM on Tuesday was the issue of farmers not getting paid. Mm. So there's a lot of farmers out there waiting for payments. They're waiting for acres payments. They're waiting for um, their their normal BPS, as I would call it. It's it's um, it's a new name this year, but um, the, the traditional single farm payment. A lot of anger among farmers about having to wait for payment, and the comparison made that if it was you know state employees, civil servants who were told that they would get paid on a date and didn't get paid on a date, that there would be uproar. For sure. And by comparison, farmers are expected to wait. And actually, at the IFA AGM, Minister Charlie McConnell wasn't able to give a commitment that all the farmers would be paid by February. So now these are farmers that are waiting since the back end of 2023, and they were told they'd be paid in early 24. That's not happening, and he couldn't even guarantee that they would all be paid in, in February. So from the floor... Um, that was a real issue, the farm payments, but there was lots of issues raised on the day. Speaking of angry farmers, German uh, farmers bringing cities to uh, a standstill, and uh, this uh, cropped up on the programme earlier on this morning as well. Um, Very angry in Germany. Very angry in Germany, and, you know, we've seen a number of very angry farmer protests across Europe in the last two years or so. So this week, farmers in Germany um, started a week-long protest and it's in response to subsidy cuts um, and farmers came out on the streets, they came out on the Autobahn and uh, they went to Berlin, centre of Berlin, and they brought the place to a standstill, basically. And the main reason, I suppose, they're out there is that the government decided to cut the green diesel subsidies mm. and tax breaks for agricultural vehicles, so hence the tractors. Um, and that was uh, driven by the government's announcement that it needed to save 900 million from farming subsidies um, after they, they lost out on, on debt due to a, a court ruling that the government thought they would get. Um, the German government prior to this week's protest did roll back a little bit um, in that they, the tax relief for the agricultural vehicles like tractors they'll be phased out and the diesel subsidy will be phased out now as opposed to a blunt cut. But it's not the first time we've seen farmers taken to the streets in Europe. We've seen it previously in Ireland, but Mm. I suppose the Dutch farmers have have come to the forefront in recent years and their issue was, you know, nitrates and environmental regulation. That is at least partly the reason for um, the the rise of the the political party in, in, um, in Holland. Yes. 
Um, and, you know, it's, I suppose, a sign of growing unhappiness among farmers um, across Europe and, mm. and sometimes in relation to um, environmental regulation, sometimes in relation to carbon tax, but often very interlinked. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting, particularly, I suppose, in light of the European elections coming up as well, Katrina. You'd wonder how big a part uh, the unhappiness of farmers right across Europe will play in those elections. You would. and I mean, the, the choice of candidate will change the colour of, of the parliament yeah. and, and could have substantial um, policy impacts then. Um, and in the case of, say, for example, the Common Agricultural Policy, that is already being talked about now for 2028. Um, the, the early talks are yes. happening now, but the real talks will begin after the European elections um, in June. And obviously that, that will be directly affected by, by, the, uh, by who is elected in Ireland and across Europe. It's going to be interesting times, that's uh, for sure. Should we be concerned about Irish food and drink exports dropping um, to 16.4 billion uh, last year? Is that is that of grave concern? Look, it's not it's not great news, but they are still phenomenally good yeah. figures. Um, so we've got like it dropped to 16.4 billion. It was an overall four percent drop. Uh, not what anybody wants to see, but it was a, a value drop. We know that the price of commodities fell last year. Mm. You know, we know that the price of milk and dairy products fell, sheep meat fell, and then pig meat was particularly badly hit. So primary beef exports, as in the volume of them, actually, sorry, the value of them actually grew 2% and prepared foods went up. So that's in the value added sector. Um, so is it the end of the world? No. Um, but is it a negative uh, news story? Yes, it is. Um, we're still, you know, exporting mm. huge amounts of food and drink to Europe. And the industry and the board be uh, um, experts were still, you know, they are very optimistic for 2024. Um, and most of the companies that were surveyed in relation to exporting food and drink, the companies themselves are expecting some growth in 2024. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But Ireland, you know, it's an absolute star performer in terms of exports of food and drink. Can I ask you about that UCD uh, study? High output herds could cut carbon emissions. Would that? Would you be talking there about less animals producing the same amount? Is that what that's about? Yeah, so I suppose historically in Ireland over the last 20 years or so, we have moved away from what would have been called a high input, high output type of cow. So we would have imported from Canada and America genetics years ago that would have been um, very Holstein. So a big cow, um, very high yielding, so a huge capacity. She would have a huge capacity to produce milk, but she also needed lots of concentrate feed to do that. Over the last 20 years and, and following Chagas' advice and, and following science as well, we've gone for a smaller type of cow, a more efficient type of cow suited to grass-based production. Um, so they are lower input in that they leave far less concentrate feed. They do most of their milk um, off grass alone and then they produce slightly less milk as a result. But it, it is more economical cow, we'll mm. say, in terms of buying your inputs for her. Um, but there was a, a study done by UCD and the professor, professor um, of Agriculture and Food Economics, Michael Wallace, has been looking at a comparison between a high-input, high-output cow system and a benchmark uh, Chagas highly grass-based, low-input herd. And in the current um, environmental policy, he's saying that actually those higher-output herds 
could play a role in reducing the, the number of physical cows in the country mm. and therefore cut greenhouse gas emissions while still being able to provide enough uh, milk supply for the processors, you know, the dairy goals, the tier longs, um, and to feed the dairy export demand, which we've just talked about. In a way, Fran, it's a funny thing because we're nearly going back to the future based on what he's saying. Um, because, you know, we've already had these high input, high output cows and moved away from them. And now there's talk that potentially, given the environmental um, constraints, that maybe the higher input, higher output cow is the way to go. Of course, the, the one thing to bear in mind in this is that it is a high input cow as well as a high output mm. cow. You might have less of them, but you will be requiring to buy more concentrate feed. If that is imported feed, uh, what's that going to do for a carbon footprint? And also, what's it going to do for the farmer's income at the end of the day? Because where you are reliant on inputs and buying inputs to sustain your, your herd, it means you're, you're very vulnerable to changes in, in feed prices. Um, and the study found that um, that the while the uh, that basically that the high output high input herds were more exposed to feed prices and they would suffer they would gain more when milk price is very good but they would all suffer more when milk price is bad because they still have to pay for the high feed costs. Um, but overall, um, Professor Wallace's study found that both systems produced a similar whole farm profit at thirty six cents a litre. But actually, the higher output system, because the type of cow they had, could have 15% fewer cows on the same land area, so on the same farm size. So if the, yeah. if the end goal is purely environmentally cutting greenhouse gas emissions, that may be an option for some of the industry. It's very interesting, isn't it? Katrina, thanks as always for your time this morning. Thank you. Good morning to you. That's uh, Katrina Morrissey, Deputy Editor of the Farmer's Journal, and the journal is on your shelves right now. One of our listeners reminding me that on Saturday night, uh, Michael Collins, the Michael Collins Band, appearing at uh, Care House Hotel, and I'm there along with uh, Muriel on the night as well, so it's a two-band session, so there will be about four hours of dancing, I would imagine, but anyway, tea and coffee and nibbles, and it's from half past eight until date. That's it for me. Uh, Emma produced, Ali looks after her content, Stephen is on the way with the time tunnel, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Look after yourself. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.